Welcome to the Ether. Today is Thursday, September 1st, 2022. Today on the Ether, DeFi Deep Dive, hosted by Lavana Protocol. Let's take a listen. Hello. Give me some emojis if you guys can hear me. Okay. Oh, there we go. We got uh, one there. There we go. That's, that's what I was looking for. So we're going to get started in about three minutes. Um, thanks, everybody. Um, we've got some, you know, we're, we're going to talk, uh, a little bit more technical about, um, uh, DeFi protocols and interoperability of different types of protocols. Um, and it, it should be a fun conversation, you know, looking forward to having, uh, um, you know, some familiar faces and some new faces up here. Um, stake easy. I see you in the audience. would love to get somebody from your team up here to, to chat because, you know, we're, we're very excited. Um, just to brainstorm and just to outline some what it means um, for the Cosmos ecosystem and you know, specifically for the, the Juno ecosystem, um, having access to uh, the, the real problem that uh, liquid staking uh, tokens solve, um, some of the different approaches and, uh, and how they play a role in um, other DeFi protocols like what Levana is building um, in the option space. Um, it could be applied also to, to perpetuals, but the um, you know the the time window of options makes it particularly favorable um, around uh, around uh, liquid staking tokens. But I don't want to get ahead of myself, so we'll wait just another couple minutes um, to make sure that we have the you know everybody here, um, and then we'll get started. And as always, this is recorded. You know, this is our our um, weekly. Uh, uh, our weekly AMAs, which happen on Twitter Spaces, they're always recorded. You know, we've got. Um, I want to give a uh, a shout out um, uh, to Terra Spaces. You know, that always does a great job of uh, recording the and cleaning up the audio and then uh, publishing an archive. So thanks a lot for that. Um, and then you know you can you can always find it uh, uh, through the Lavana uh, history feed. I think. I think we're going to work to try and make, uh, I don't know, give me a sense here. Um, do you guys listen to podcasts? Do you guys listen to Spotify or, or something like that? Would it be, give me some emojis if you think it would be helpful if we were to take these uh, weekly uh, recordings and, you know, to also just put them in one place like, you know, Spotify or somewhere so that they could easily be um, referenced and then viewed. So I'm getting some, I, I, I'm getting uh, some thumbs up. So. That's that's good to hear that that's uh, that's you know that that's my preferred way. I I just can never end up getting around to listening to things live, and I have a problem that I can't listen to things at one x. I one seven five is like my go to, and and if it's really heavy material, I go to one five, and so I always end up you know I go to a conference, and instead of um, 
you know, I spend the whole time, you know, just, just uh, schmoozing, you know, and, and, and networking and, and having face-to-face meetings, you know, I might have lunch seven times a, in a day, you know, at a conference, uh, and then never actually set foot inside the lecture hall because the lectures are all being recorded. I can just go on YouTube and watch it at, you know, at one X or, you know, one five speed, um, which, you know, is, is a lot easier for, for me to follow. Maybe it's an ADD thing, but, uh, okay, we'll wait, um, another minute. Uh, and then let's, let's ping and see uh, if our guest is available. Um, and if there, as always, this is, you know, an open forum. So if anybody else wants to come up and ask questions or participate in any way, you know, you're always uh, welcome to do that. And I'm going to pause and uh, pull up some notes. Um, and, you know, we've got, uh, we've got what, what looks like it's uh, teaming up to be a great show. Um, so we've got Rebel DeFi. Um, let's see if we can send out a message. Rebel DeFi, if you're here in the audience, please. Uh, oh, there you are. So if you could just request to come up uh, as a speaker. Um, so then we can pull you up and we'll get started. Hi, guys. Thank you very much for the invite. I'm seeing a lot of my Levana friends here. Church Key, B-Bands. Hi, guys. We awesome. actually, if I can just say one thing, Jonathan, um, we just came off a call with um, Highlander and Stakeasy, who are like a liquid staking provider, well, Stakeasy are the liquid staking provider on Juno Network. So. I'm just interested to hear your take on what you're thinking about liquid staking derivatives is going to be. Uh, absolutely. That's why I was, and I saw some of the work that you put into the space uh, with your YouTube videos. Uh, and uh, so I, I knew, I, I knew that, that this was a topic that was uh, timely and, um, and relevant. So that's why I'm so excited to, you know, to, to, to have you up here um, to be able to speak on the subject. Could you just take a minute for, the listeners and, and introduce yourself sure thank you very much hi guys i mean i see a few familiar faces good friends with finn as well um so yeah i mean i'm i'm basically a DeFi noob um who got into terra about well it's quite a while ago now maybe 16 months ago i um, started playing around on mirror protocol when when the apys or aprs were pretty decent um and then just sort of got playing with all the different sort of DeFi products, Prism Protocol, Anchor, Apollo, um, on Terra, and started creating videos for other people kind of like me who are new to the scene and just kind of getting into it. Um, I'm, I'm in, pretty excited by what you guys are building and have been building for some time now. Um, and like it, is, it seems pretty complex, your idea about these, all, all these options and I don't, I don't know if you're still going to be doing leverage, but there was a sort of talk of Luna 2X back in the day. I don't know if that's going to become Juno 2X. So, yeah, definitely be interested to, to hear your thoughts more on the direction of Levana. Oh, that's, that's great. So that, that is a great... Uh, so, so to jump into that, there is no money market um, for uh, creating a leverage basket on Juno. You know, we, that, that particular product was designed on top of Mars. Mars is relaunching in the near future, I believe, on Osmosis, and so there's uh, there is potential. You know that product actually, which is a uh, leverage index tokens, um, was code complete, was audit complete, and um, so it is. Uh, it is kind of a 
uh, heartbreaking that, that that was never able to be launched, um, you know, after, you know, some of the, the delays with Mars and then um, and then the subsequent, you know, I think Mars had about um, maybe it was about six weeks in the market before the, the collapse. But uh, that it may. But we actually part of what we've uh, designed for Purpose V2 um, enables uh, bespoke creation of leverage baskets. But that wasn't the the main topic for this conversation. So uh, I'll leave that for something more focused um, for for another uh, for another call. So um, yes, and to introduce myself, I'm I'm Jonathan Karras. I'm head of communications at Levana, and Levana is a um, a, a set of DeFi protocols based around the concept of leverage any asset. It's an acronym, uh, and our, um, our our brand and go to market strategy, our vision of what will make um, uh, DeFi accessible to the masses is to really simplify it, um, to focus on education, to focus on gamification, and um, to focus on community. And so we had the um, you know, the largest, most active game by community and NFT set on Terra before the collapse. Uh, and since the collapse, um, we have released an options trading platform uh, on Testnet on Juno, uh, which is currently going through uh, product or through, um, uh, through usability testing with, uh, with actually thousands of um, Juno knots. So thank you everybody who's participated. We I think we we broke over seven and a half thousand taps um, to the um, to the uh, the faucet there um, on the testnet, and which is no easy feat because there is a captcha and there is a twenty four hour delay. Um, so it's literally thousands of of uh, unique uh, people out there playing with this thing, and the feedback that we've gotten has been amazing, and it's uh, been largely influential as to the what the future of the product is. And what the needs of uh, the people uh, that are out there, and that actually brings us to today's topic of conversation, which is um, uh, liquid staking and options. So I'm I'm actually curious, um, you know, Rebel, if you could just give us like a, a quick run through of the podcast or the spaces that you just got off off of um, around the the current state of the market for liquid staking um, on Cosmos and on Juno. Uh, I know of a, a couple different players, but I'm sure you got like information right off the press. So anything that you um, could share with us would be greatly appreciated. Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm quite excited by what Stake Easy are bringing to Juno. They've got two different, I mean, Udit's in the call, so maybe he can speak more on this if, if I'm making factual mistakes, but they're coming with two different liquid staking derivative tokens, SE Juno, um, stake easy Juno, and that's the auto compounding version, and then also B Juno, which is kind of akin to B Luna, so not auto compounding. Um, so I mean that's one thing I'm quite sort of excited about Juno for is that there seems to be a lot of stuff that we used to do on Luna now possible on Juno. Apart from not having a money market, that's a, a bit of a drawback. Um, but but seeing Levana coming over to Juno is giving me even more confidence that this is a blockchain I should be exploring myself. So I'm sure it's been discussed a number of times. But I'd also, if you like, in like a sort of thirty second rundown, like it'd be interesting for me to hear why you chose Juno as your sort of as the place that you decided to land on. 
Well, I can tell you personally, you know, but it's uh, what, what I, how I fell in love with Juno. And, um, and then I can tell you kind of like the, you know, the more of uh, the general, uh, the, like the general concepts from, you know, the core team at Lavana as to why it was the choice. Um, so we gave a survey to a bunch of different communities and we asked them if uh, they like um, reading uh, science fiction, fantasy comic books. And Juno had like an 80% yes. And so for me, then that was it. The deal was done. You know, I was like, okay, this is, this is my crowd. Um, and, uh, and so we'll, we'll build, we'll build there. But, uh, in all seriousness, um, it was, uh, it, it, uh, you know, Juno is, um, is, I would almost think of it like it's really positioned itself in a very powerful position. So first of all, Cosmos is, the most interesting thing that's happening in the entire crypto space. Um, it is, uh, it, it, it mimics a lot of the um, value drivers and uh, lessons that were learned in the creation and then the expansion of the internet, you know, of, of actually having like uh, different needs for different services, different scaling approaches, um, being able to own the entire stack uh, and many other um, nuances. Um, so Cosmos, uh, you know, plus Cosmos and the, ICB um, is uh, um, or IBC is um, is is really you know is is something that I think that solves a lot of the problems that we're seeing now with like bespoke scaling solutions on Ethereum or or other chains. And I think you know it's like at the end of the day, um, it's it's unlikely that any side chain to Ethereum is going to get a hundred percent of the market. And so then you end up with this like you know really disjointed. siloed uh liquidity and then you have to have bridges on top of bridges you know you need to bridge to get to the l2 and then you need to have bridges between the two l2s and each of the bridges uh themselves are going to have different security um uh you know just some different security attributes along with each of the different chains um and so you end up with this like uh somewhat uh less than elegant um hodgepodge of a, you know, a a massive internet of value. Whereas Cosmos is kind of taking this methodical approach that, you know, if you, if you want to manage your own security and be your own validator set, you want to be able to specify various different aspects of your blockchain. So then we will let you do that. If you want to build on top of somebody else as just a module, we will also let you do that. If you want to have shared security, we will let you do that. If you want to manage your own bridge, we will let you do that. If you want to be part of a generalized bridge, we will let you do that. So by allowing for each project to really optimize as to what um, what she needs or what her users need, then I, I believe that ultimately we have the solution that the market will trend to. And I think seeing uh, DYDX um, realize that they had to really launch their own chain in order to be able to fulfill their mission, they're not. They're, they're, they might not have been the first, but they're definitely not going to be the last. So we knew we wanted to stay within the Cosmos ecosystem. Um, not to say that there aren't other ecosystems that we like, it's just, we're looking for our home base. You know, ultimately we want to be a product that exists everywhere or the suite of Lavana products should exist everywhere. But, um, but Cosmos has a very strong draw. Now looking at Juno, Juno is the only permissionless network in Cosmos, meaning it's the only place where a toy maker can really come and set up shop and then just start building and then have that, um, um, you know, have that, um, you know, have that like, pl- you know, 
that that tool shed or that playground to just experiment in and not have to worry about, you know, governance vote or is it still a work in progress? Is it the final version of the software? Is it not? All of these other questions. Like we're very excited about osmosis and we love the osmosis team and, and the decks that they've created. But the truth is, is that in order to get published onto osmosis, um, it needs to pass a, uh, a, uh, a community vote, an on-chain vote. And now what happens if you have a bug a day later? So that needs to pass an on-chain vote. You know, what happens if you want to spin off another product or you want to make another change? That's also an, an on-chain vote. So there's a level of maturity or finalization um, uh, that's expected when you build on top of things like Kajira or in, Injective or, um, you know, a, a Psy or Osmosis or uh, any of these other chains um, that really, um, I wouldn't say prohibits the... Um, the experimentation, but it it certainly doesn't encourage it, and so that's why we think that there is such a uh, you know I would uh, such a uh, a bright future for Juno because as more and more eyes come to the cosmos space, I think it's only natural that the landing pad is Juno, and then if projects grow and then they want to launch their own app chain or they want to become multi chain supported. I think that that's a natural ev evolution, which is also just in general supported within the Cosmos ecosystem. But um, they, uh, you know, they they still built their launch pad. They built their community all on top of Juno, and I believe that Juno is in a is is well poised to capture the value of the you know the the block space um, that they will be providing to all of these new coming projects. So that's that's kind of my Juno thesis in a nutshell. That plus they like dragons. <laughs> And wizards, and and people in suits. <laughs> Absolutely, I, I heard on on crypto Twitter quite recently. Someone was talking about how Juno is akin to Kusama. Yes, and I thought oh, that's kind of quite a cool analogy. I don't I don't know if that was a Lavana person that said yes, that. Yes, so that's that's I liked my, that's definitely my mental model. Is that I look at the success of Kusama and I say that yeah, and it's and Juno kind of reminds me of that as well. Is that it's the perfect place to. Um, to experiment, to get your feet wet, to, to find your footing, and then to grow from. Awesome. So um, just sort of going back to what you were asking about um, liquid staking tokens, and I, I think I kind of glossed over it a little bit. I mean, it, I, I don't think they're that difficult to understand, but un until you kind of grasp it, it, it does seem a little bit complex. So for anyone that's kind of new to liquid staking derivatives, we, we all know that we can like stake our Juno tokens so we, that's going to help secure the network. But then our tokens are locked up for, I think on Juno, it's 28 days. So we're going to get some decent staking rewards from doing that. Um, but then that's all we're doing. But with liquid staking derivatives, what we can do is we can stake them to our staker Juno with Stake Easy. And then we're going to get our staking rewards. But then what Stake Easy does, and, and, and there will be other liquid staking providers, I'm sure, but um, they then give us back a liquid token that we can then use in DeFi. So, I mean, it, it is kind of like having your cake and eating it. So we're going to get staking rewards, but then we can do other stuff as well. We can LP these tokens. Um, and and with stuff like Prism on Terra, there was loads of other stuff we could do. Um, but I, I don't know how this is going to tie in with options. So that's just taking it to a whole new level of complexity. Well, it's, it's, really, it's really exciting. And so... I want to also just double tap on a point that you brought up before that there's two different ways to get rewards. And historically, um, you know, I like to think of myself as like a DeFi historian. 
um, if, if you could even claim such a thing from an industry that was, you know, in, invented, you know, uh, um, <laughs> like after the, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle reboot. Um, so it's, you know, it's like a five-year-old industry. Um, so it's, uh, imagine, um, so, okay, when, when uh, Compound um, created a deposit token, it's almost, you can think of it like a, uh, it's like your coat, coat check-in. Uh, you go to a fancy restaurant, you have like a big coat. Um, it's, you know, it's not made out of real fur because people don't do that anymore. So it's like, who knows what it's made out of. Um, and, you know, but it's big and it's fluffy and you definitely don't want to sit at the table with it. So you go to the coat check-in, you give them your coat and they give you a little tag. So that tag, um, uh, I think was first expressed on compound and Ave. So this was probably, if I had to, to give a date to it, it's probably around 2019, 2020. So it is, um, the, now there was a difference um, where, uh, again, let's say it's not the, the, the case of, uh, of your coat, or I'm just going to go further. And you actually, there's a coat market where people will, you know, it's very cold outside. And so people that have to like run up to, you know, to the chemist or whatever, then will you know will pay to borrow your coat that you checked into the coat uh um you know to the to the coat uh closet i don't know what that's called uh the coat check-in so you give the you give the um the you know the the you you give in your hundred dollar jacket um to the coat check-in and they give you a tag and they write on it you know deposited one coat worth a hundred dollars um and then while the coat is deposited they're lending that code out and they're getting fees on that. So there's two different ways that it could happen is that continuously while you're sitting at your table at the restaurant, the waiter could come over to you and just give you another token and give you another little you know, piece of paper that says, okay, here's, an here's your share of the fees that we collected. Here's another dollar token. And then five minutes later, they might come back and they'll give you another little um, you know, paper receipt with another dollar. So by the end of the dinner, you have your original, you know, hundred dollar um, little voucher. Plus, you've got like a stack of like thirty other vouchers, each worth a dollar. Because while you were there at dinner, um, the, uh, the 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 value of your of of what you deposited in the coat check increased because of the because it was being used for lending, and so they paid you out in more of these little vouchers. So that um, works very nice um, because now it's very easy to understand that each voucher is worth one dollar. So the, the the each voucher that they gave you was always worth you know you had your stack of a hundred that they first gave you, and then throughout the the dinner you got more and more and more, and um, and now you have one hundred and thirty of these little vouchers. So now when you go to get your your coat back, um, they'll give you your coat plus you know whatever profits that that you got and. Because you have these little vouchers and, it, and people know that these vouchers are all worth a dollar, you actually could just, maybe you'd pay your bill at the restaurant. This, this analogy has gone way, uh, much, you know, way out of whack of what I originally intended, it, so I apologize. Um, but hopefully you guys are still following me. So you could actually even just pay for stuff with these vouchers and never even have to redeem them because it's very easy to calculate what's the value of the, of the, um, of the voucher. Now, the problem that that's, you know, so you say like, okay, that's great, but what's the downside? Well, the downside is, is that the entire time that you were sitting there eating dinner, 
you know, this waiter kept coming over to you saying, excuse me, sir, excuse me, madam, um, and handing you another voucher. And then you have to like get your wallet out. You have to put it into the voucher. You know, there's uh, and and just to bring it back to the um, to, to where the analogy is, there's also gas related to, to the transfer of these in many cases. Um, and um, and uh, so so that's kind of the overhead is the downside. Now, there's another way that you could do it is that instead of them just giving you like a paper voucher or like a stack of 100, what if they gave you something that was like a smart voucher and it had like a little LCD screen and it said like one voucher, but one voucher is currently worth $100. And then a minute later, you looked at it and it was like, you still have one voucher, but it's worth $102. And then, you know, by the time that you finished dinner, you still just have this one voucher. No waiter came over to your table a bunch of times, but you look down at the LCD screen and it says that it's worth $130. So there's pros and cons to, to each approach. Um, you know, if it's, uh, if it's with the multiple voucher, the paper voucher style, um, there's, you know, at, uh, at, um, it, it's very simple to run calculations. You can um, separate the yield from the principal very easily. You could have one of it funneled in one direction, another funneled in another direction. Um, and that's kind of why when it came to Compound and their competitor, Ave, they actually went in different directions. Now, I'm probably, I've got a 50-50 chance of screwing it up. But I think it was that the Compound tokens, um, you didn't get more Compound tokens, but, but each Compound token was like the little LCD screen where the price just went up. And then for Ave, it was like the waiter coming over your, to your table over and over again and, um, and just giving you more paper vouchers. So I, I might have just reversed that, but for sake of, uh, of narrative, just understand that one went with one direction, the other went in the other direction. And then since then, we've seen these uh, concepts of, of receipts for deposited tokens become very um, important to two critical concepts of DeFi, well, which is um, interoperability and composability. So interoperability is when one app can talk to another app, and composability is when funds that were created by one app can be uh, it can be used seamlessly in another app. So different, uh, you know, while, while we've got these uh, these um, these receipt tokens, um, so it opens up a whole new level of uh, of um, of interoperability and composability. Now, uh, and that's kind of like the Lego uh, DeFi stack or the DeFi Lego stack that as more and more popular apps become more and more successful and more trustworthy, then that inspires the next generation of entrepreneurs to build products on top of the existing applications. And then you kind of get this whole um, R&D stack that is composable, that different pieces can be swapped out and innovation can happen. And it's a uh, it's um, it's highly uh, capitalistic that you know that fees trend to zero. We try and cut out the middleman where where possible. Everything is transparent, and you have this world of open finance, which is like the antithesis of the world of finance that we grew up in, where you never really know who's collecting fees. You never really know how many hands your dollar is moving through, and you don't really. It's impossible for the end consumer to be able to effectively calculate risk. Because the, everything that they interact with in the world of finance is just simply a black box. So now, um, 
so that's that's the uh, that's the foundation as to you know enter into the concept of staking. So before we get into liquid staking, it's important to understand what is staking in the first place and why is it a general concept. Okay, there's um uh, this kind of goes back you know again to to Bitcoin, which you know if you don't if you're in this space and you don't really understand how Bitcoin works, I think that that's kind of like the foundation. You know, before you learn calculus. It's very important to learn arithmetic and um, orders of operations, and and that the equivalent here is that how does Bitcoin work? Um, and so, uh, you know, Bitcoin was designed to be a decentralized um, uh, form of electronic cash. Now, obviously, that that can mean different things to different people, and you know, it's up for debate as to whether Bitcoin really fulfilled its mission um, or. Um, or it became something else, you know, like a digital gold or a store of value or a risk off asset. You know, let's, we'll, we'll leave the historians to, to write that book. But, um, but the, the problem that Bitcoin solved was how do you have a limited supply digital asset? And then how do you keep a ledger, which is essentially a spreadsheet of all the addresses um, with the location of where all of those um, assets are um, and keep it synced? It, like in sync between all the market participants without having a central arbitrator, without having one central computer that's saying, okay, I give the definition of where all of those coins are and everybody else has to listen to me. So um, what, uh, what Bitcoin did is that it said, okay, there needs to be um, something called, uh, there needs to be a, a proof of work that if you want to provide security to the, the, the Bitcoin network, then you need to, um, you need to uh, essentially, um, uh, you, you essentially need to um, burn electricity, like just destroy electricity. Um, and by destroying that electricity, you will get uh, essentially lottery tickets. And then the network as a whole will randomly select a, a winner, a winning lottery ticket. So obviously, if you burn more electricity, you're going to get more lottery tickets. Um, and the likelihood, uh, the probability of any particular lottery ticket being uh, um, picked is totally dependent upon how many lottery tickets were you know, sold in that time period, which for Bitcoin is a 10-minute uh, uh, block time. So as more and more people come and try and mine blocks, which is creating these lottery tickets. Um, it's, a, it's called finding the nonce. So the more people that are trying to find the nonce, um, the more the difficulty adjusts, which is essentially selling more lottery tickets. That's a gross oversimplification. And I'm sure that there's some people that are listening that's like, that's not how it works. Rah, rah, rah. But fine. So, you know, whatever. That is, that's kind of how it works. It's close enough. Um, and so... What uh, one of the, the main problems that uh, Bitcoin wanted to solve was, uh, besides for just having this distributed ledger, was um, pre preventing um, spam attacks against the network. And so that's called something uh, that there was a there was a schizophrenic woman uh, called Sybil. I don't know. There was apparently a book written about her. I never read it. And so that's where the term a Sybil attack comes from, where one actor could pretend to be many actors and the way that um that the hash power or the definition of truth on on bitcoin is uh, whatever 51 percent agrees on so if you're buying these lottery tickets um you know by you know by contributing hash power um 
through mining, um, you know, through your attempt to, to complete the nonce, then you um, find the nonce, then, um, then uh, you, if 51% of those tickets uh, or the holders of those tickets agree that, oh, here's the current state of the network, then that actually becomes the state of the network. And anybody else who disagrees, that ends up becoming a fork. And, you know, Bitcoin has forked many times before, um, sometimes because of bugs, sometimes not. But it's um, but by charging a fee um, for the transfer of Bitcoin and by forcing the, um, the consumption of electricity in terms of updating the ledger, those two things created cyber resistance um, that, that became the cornerstone of being able to create a, um, a robust, decentralized um, uh, token uh, uh, allocation management and distribution system, which is Bitcoin as we know it today. Now, um, back in 2014, it was proposed that what if there was another way to do it? What if there was a way to do it that wasn't... Um, that wasn't, I'm just looking at the time now, and I'm so sorry that I'm rambling. I'm going to try and speed this up. Um, what if there was a way to simply have um, existing token holders put their capital at risk, where you just simply stake tokens, um, meaning you lock up your tokens into the network, into these miners, and the miners don't need to burn electricity, they can rather um, just be kind of participating in a system that's almost like a game of chicken, that if you are caught as being a liar, then all of the staked tokens that you have in the platform um, are at risk. And, and so that became, um, now there's been a lot of debate, there were some really great articles written in 2015 and 16 called Nothing at Stake and the Nothing at Stake problem. And we can argue about the specifics of tendermint and delegated proof of stake as to whether or not these have actually been solved or not. Um, but uh, but they, um, you know, the end of it is that we end up with a very robust ecosystem where the majority of tokens today um, are staked. And, and then, and now we, we come to a problem, which I guess, uh, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts about it. Is um, is that that when you stake, um, there has to be something at risk, and so that also means that you can't just unstake immediately, because if you could just unstake immediately, then the um, the attack vectors on the network would be at, would be tr trivial to. Um, to to expose, meaning that if you wanted to perform something adversarial, um, you could vote when you wanted to vote on blocks, and then just immediately take your tokens out um, if you had a sense that there was going to be some type of a a slashing event. And so I'm curious, uh, Rebel, where are you staking today, um, and are you aware of the withdrawal times? And just any thoughts or anything about how withdrawal times um, uh, contributes to your thought process as to which networks you want to help validate or or secure with uh, with with the tokens that you own. Um, I'll be honest with you. At the moment, I don't hold a great bunch of tokens, but 
some of my atom is staked with stake CETO. I can see they're here. Um, some of my, in fact, all of my Luna is staked with a validator I'm part of. They're also in the house. Oh, um, so yeah, I stake. I mean, it's nice to um, distribute tokens, I suppose, for risk management. But I've just I've just gone all in with Orbital Command with my Luna. Um, but the, the one thing, I mean, as far as Juno is concerned, I'm quite a new Juno user, um, so I haven't staked or delegated any Juno. And I think part of what was putting me off um, delegating Juno is like, like I get 21 days. It's quite nice on osmosis how you can undelegate in like 14 days, but but 28 days does seem I'd, maybe excessive is the word, but it seems a long time. So I haven't really been inspired to delegate any Juno. Um, and not because I don't like rate the validators. Um, Highlander Chain Tools are in. Um, he's a personal friend um, and, and runs validator on Juno. But as far as if, if it's possible to do liquid staking on Juno, that would be a lot more up my street. So now that Stake Easy is here, I, um, I'll definitely be staking a little bit of Juno with them. That's that's I think you make an excellent excellent point, and so the younger that because because the the lockup time for staking is directly related to um, to the token economics because it lowers the volatility of the um, of of the token and you know if you've ever studied um, like uh, the theory of money so you know, you'll be familiar with concepts that you know a volatility of an asset that as volatility increases. Um, relative price decreases, and so you actually end up with um, a, a positive flywheel when you have a large percent of the um, you know the float that's actually uh, stuck with um, a you know long term uh, staking position. So there's a few different benefits to the network. One is is it keeps um, you know it keeps dumping from happening. You know people don't have just like a um, trigger fingers that like the, you know, the acid dropped 5% and then now they, you know, dump it, uh, you know, dump onto the market. It's almost like uh, a built-in or self-regulated, you know, stock market. You know, there's a, there's the big red button at the New York Stock Exchange where if the price tanks of, uh, you know, of just like the New York Stock Exchange in general, if it tanks below a certain amount over a certain time period, they stop all trading and they give people like a, a time to like breathe and like, you know, uh, get them, pull themselves together and figure out what the, you know, what, what it is they're doing with their life. So, um, those, one of the benefits, um, of the staking lock period, uh, is, you know, to, to prevent is to lower the volatility index of young coins, um, to help distribute young coins to new, um, market participants to reward, um, uh, market participants for providing security to the network, um, and usually the younger that the network is, the longer state, the longer the staking period is. So I think that's why we see like osmosis. You know, there's uh, osmosis is two weeks. Uh, Juno is fifty percent more at uh, at three weeks. Um, I would imagine over time uh, it would be reasonable that 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 time frame would shorten. Now, as that. Um, uh, now, as you put it, uh, and, and I think you hit the nail on the head, is that uh, liquid staking actually solves 
um, a lot of these problems, and it uses the same basic principle as um, as uh, Ave and Compound, the lending markets. And so, what is that? Is that you actually stake through their platform, and uh, so in this case, it could be Stake Easy, and then they uh, mint for you essentially a voucher token, which um, can later be redeemed for um, uh, if you know for an unstaked token, and then they incentivize just a, a spot trading market between the staked version or the staked voucher and the actual asset itself. Now, I'm curious: did you participate? Did you uh, you know mint B Luna on Terra, and uh, and did you ever trade between B Luna and Luna? Absolutely. That that was one of like the best ga- DeFi games ever. Uh, yeah, I loved that ARB. That was, that was brilliant. So can you walk the listeners through a little bit of how that ARB worked? And if you have any understanding of like, why was there uh, arbitrage opportunity consistently between those pairs? Well, that's that's a good question. I don't necessarily know the why. I just remember that often B Luna seemed to be cheap relative to Luna. So if we used our money um, or, or UST to buy B Luna, we could then slow burn it back over a 21-day period and then end up with more Luna than the cash value that we used to buy the B Luna. Um, I mean, presumably that was to do with the fact that the Luna tokens themselves were more liquid than the B Luna. Yep, you you hit the nail on the head. So one of the nice things about uh, staked, uh, about liquid stake tokens is they're always, by definition, um, you can't have 100% of the tokens uh, as liquid staked. Um, otherwise, there'd be no market makers, there'd be no AMMs, you know, just, you, you know, at, at best, you can have 50% of the token staked. But even then, I think that that's a pipe dream. You know, you're probably looking at having, you know, 10 to 20% of, of uh, all circulating tokens being uh, liquid staked. Um, and so that liquid staked is always going to have, let's say, you know, uh, you know, five percent or maybe ten percent of the liquidity depth as the unstaked version of the asset and there's also you need to take into account of it as a smart contract risk um and you know other risks you know just like you know hacking risks um rug pulling risks not not claiming that anybody that's building stake tokens you know would do such nefarious acts but all of these kind of things need to go into a risk factor which then usually creates an arbitrage opportunity where the um, liquid stake token is always trading at a slightly lower price, a discounted value off of the native token. And so it's almost like a futures contract because it's almost like um, if I buy that, you know, if I, if I buy that, uh, oh, oh, and, and, you know, before I get into how it's like a futures contract, um, it's even more exacerbated um, when, uh, it's even more exacerbated during down markets because when there are flash crashes, so then the people that want to dump uh, or the people with the weak hands are the liquid stake token holders. So that transfers um, value from the hands of the people with the short-term time preference to the hands of the people with the long-term time preference. So it's a really great um, ARB opportunity that will always exist between liquid staking tokens and and regular tokens. So now, now, how what does this have to do with options? So let's let's jump into that. So 
Did you um, did you have a chance to rebel to read the blog post that Lavana put out uh, that kind of uh, or listen to some of our previous AMAs about, uh, you know, what is a call? You know, how does a call option work and what is collateralizing a call option? I'm happy to, to, to jump, dive into it, you know, for 45 seconds as well. I'll be honest with you. I thought the article, the Levan article was really good how it talked about like, um, I, because my, my, my background isn't finance, but um, I do like playing DeFi games. I, I liked how there was the analogy that options are like insurance. And then if we wanted to insure our Lambo, we could buy the call option. Well, you'd buy the put option. I think that's the right one. Yeah, you'd buy the oh, put option. I got that, it wrong. That's all right. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it's just getting my head around it. So the, the put allows me to sell a token at a predefined price. Is that right? This well, the strike price, but yes, it's, you're, it, yeah. it gives you the the um, option, but not obligation to uh, to sell a token at a future price um, on a future date. So that's a put. So a call option. We actually had uh, Kevin um, had uh, was on our last call. And um, he, um, you know, had some really great, um, he had some really great analogies. He said, you know, imagine, and maybe we're just dating ourselves, but imagine, um, hey, we got some new guests up here. Um, so uh, well, I'll introduce you guys uh, in a second. So, but imagine that you've got um, a, imagine that it's, you know, it's, it's almost the holiday season and the, um, there's a Tickle Me Elmo, which is this like, you know, plush Elmo doll that when you tickle it, it talks and it's the hottest thing and every kid wants it. And they're just like selling out like crazy. Now you're not sure if it's all hype and marketing and come, you know, uh, you know, come January 1st, this thing is going to be like bubkiss. Nobody's going to want it. So you don't know, but, but it could be that it's like super hot and, um, and so what you do is you find somebody that, um, you know, let's say that this doll is retailing at, at a hundred bucks. Um, or let's say, you know, let's say it's retailing at 80 bucks, but there's rumors that come December 26th, this thing is going to sell for $300, you know, over three times the current price, because the demand is going to be so high and there's going to be so many crying kids that are like, daddy, I can't believe you didn't get me uh, a tickle me Elmo this means you don't love me. Now you're going to have to pay $10,000 in therapy over the next 18 years. Um, so you've got all these fathers that are running out um, on December 26th to try and find by hook or by crook a Tickle Me Elmo. So you're, so now it's October and you're thinking to yourself, you know what? I'm going to go to one of these people that has a Tickle Me Elmo and I'm going to say to him, you know what? I'll pay you 10 bucks for the option to purchase your Tickle Me Elmo for a hundred bucks on December 26th. So I am, a, my, and that's called a call option. And the call option in this case is collateralized by one Tickle Me Elmo doll. And my strike price is a hundred dollars. And my cost of the option is $10. So that's all the mechanics. So now what did I do? I essentially, you can think of it almost as buying insurance because I'm in, I'm ensuring that I've got a sale for this Tickle Me Elmo and I don't have to buy it. If it turns out that December 26th, the things are just like was a big hype and now they're just, you know, 
being flooded on eBay and they're sold for 50 bucks, whatever, I'm down $10. But if this toy really took off and now it's selling for $300, so now I call up the guy with that option, with my option in my hand, and I say, hey, man, here's the 100 bucks. And he's forced to now sell me that Tickle Me Elmo, which then I go and I flip on the market and get another 200 bucks profit because I sell it to some guy on eBay for 300 bucks. So that is a, um, that's a, uh, that, that's how a call option works. And, um, the guy, the original guy that had the tickle me Elmo minted that option and he sold it to me. So he was the seller of the option. I was the buyer of the call option. And then now I've got this in my back pocket. So now what does this have to do with, uh, Juno? What does this have to do with staking? Okay. Great questions. Um, now, when it, it all comes down to something called the risk-free uh, return. So the risk-free return is in traditional finance is set by the Federal Reserve or other, you know, um, nefarious bodies that, uh, you know, sit on ivory towers and decide things um, for the rest of us. And, um, and so they, um, they, we, they, you know, they would set a, a rate and then that's kind of like the um, easy way to get um, a small amount of revenue on your capital. Now, with Juno, you could say that the equivalent is the staking. So staking pays out about 7% a month, okay, more or less, you know, which comes to like 85, 86% uh, APR at the end of the year. So every month, so if I, if I have 100 Juno and I stake it, so now I'm going to expect that at the end of the month, I'm going to have 107 Juno. So now I come to options. Let's say that I, am, I want to create a contract. I want to mint a, uh, I'm like the guy with the Tickle Me Elmo doll, which is my, my 100 Juno. And, you know, the rumor has it that, you know, that Juno is just going to moon, not financial advice. I have no idea the future price of anything. Um, but Rumor has it that the price of Juno is just going to skyrocket, and so because of that, um, the, because of that, uh, people want to buy these call options where they'll pay up a, ten bucks today to ensure that they can get a fixed price point of buying Juno in the future. Now, they, again, just like with the Tickle Me Elmo doll, they don't need to buy it, but it gives them the option to buy it, and so. There's this huge market for it. So now I come as the owner of the Juno and I say like, well, look, I could deal with all of this, you know, this whole system of options and the strike prices and the expiration dates and all this complex stuff. Um, and, you know, I and but just to be like, you know, a, like a, a simple, you know, bagel seller, bagel baker. Um, bagel boiler, um, then, you know, I, I just want to stake and I'm just going to get my 7% monthly. Okay. I, I just don't have the headache for that. Now, if I was going to go through all the trouble of minting the options, then now I really need to not, um, you know, I need, I, it, it doesn't make sense for me to accept anything less than 7%. So if I'm putting a hundred, uh, Juno in an option contract, I need to at least sell that option contract for seven Juno for, for my 7% monthly, um, you know, fees. And that just makes me break even for staking. 
if I was going to sell it for less than that, I mean, I'm why even bother with all of it? I might as well just uh, just put it in, um, in in staking, you know. And then if I say like, okay, well, given the risks and given all, you know, this, that, and the other thing, I want to sell it for fifteen percent, you know, fifteen percent profits monthly. Now, buyers on the market might come and look at that and be like, wait, fifteen percent? You want to charge me fifteen Juno, um, or even like ten Juno to have the right? to buy those hundred Juno in a month from now, that's very expensive. That's a little bit too pricey. I'm not interested in buying that call option. Uh, and that's the problem. That's one of the reasons that, uh, that I believe that options has struggled to, to find um, you know, massive success is that it's always been in direct competition with all of these massive staking rewards. You know, whether it's... Um, you know whether it's seven uh, percent monthly from um, you know from uh, a Juno or it's you know three uh, I think it's three percent monthly on Osmosis you know and there's some other chains that like have even higher crazy numbers I mean these are really these demand um, very expensive uh, call options so but now let's let's run through the thought experiment um, with uh, with uh, liquid stake tokens. What if I didn't put the actual Juno itself as the collateral for the for the for minting and selling the call option? What if I put liquid staking tokens inside of the call option contract? So now that collateral that I put in is already earning that 7%. So now whatever I charge the customer that's going to buy the call option from me, I don't need to charge them some egregious fee like 10% or 15% to feel like I'm getting a risk-adjusted return. I could just charge them 1% or you know 1.5% or, or maybe 2% or whatever it is that the market decides. But I'm not competing with the risk-adjusted return, which is the staking reward. I'm supplementing it. So liquid staking actually allows for you to get additional yields on top of your stake tokens. And it allows for um, purchasers, uh, buyers of these call options to have access to the, um, you know, the insurance-like product that they're looking for at significantly cheaper rates than if liquid staking didn't work. So I know I just said a lot, so I want to pause here. And just get some feedback if if what I was saying makes sense or if you have any questions. I'll I'll just jump in before another speaker comes in then. I mean um my friend Highlander's popped up. He's he's a he's a tech guy and I'm not sure how much sort of DeFi he's played with DeFi a little bit, but I'm struggling to keep um the flow of your thoughts going in my head and just wonder if like other people are struggling as well. But from what you're saying, it, it, it doesn't necessarily matter then which liquid staking provider sort of ties in with these options. You could use, or Levana could use any liquid staking tokens. Is that a fair point? Yes, Levana would, is the, Levana's building the vehicle to allow for any, anybody to mint and sell their own options contracts and then anybody else to, to buy them and then redeem them. Now, what is collateralized in it is up to the, the users, is up to the free market. 
Now, the problem when it was just Juno is then you, you compete in the mind of the buyer and seller with the risk-free rate, which is the staking rewards. If we could, if we could also get the staking rewards and also mint the options contracts, so that means more yield for the minters, the sellers, and lower fees for the buyers. And that's what makes it so exciting to combine these two uh, aspects of DeFi. Absolutely. Um, there's a few people coming up to speak here. Does anyone want to pose a question or comment to Jonathan? Yeah, Jonathan, this is Ryan. Um, hey, Ryan, how's it going? One quick question on what you're talking about. Could you do that with Loops NFTs, their DeFi kind of staking NFT products? Um, well, so the, there's a lot of challenges with uh, options contracts um, around NFTs, which I think hasn't been solved. And, you know, we put a lot of thought into them in general. Um, and it is, uh, you know, it is, um, it does, there's a lot of things around price discovery, you know, meaning uh, like for, uh, yeah, it's the, the, in short, in short, yes, you could. If, uh, if loop was to give you a, like a deposit stub that said, you know, Hey, you deposited this, um, you know, galactic ape or whatever, you know, I forget the name of their flagship collection, but, um, you know, they're, they're, um, you know, they're, let's say that you deposited it and let's say that, um, you know, what would options look like? Like, forget about the liquid staking for NFTs, but just what would options for NFTs look like? It would be, you know, you've got a very, you've got an NFT, which today is trading for 10 Juno. And, you know, there's a lot of hype around it. And there's rumors that that thing might be worth 100 Juno in a month. So somebody who owns that NFT might stuff it inside of an options contract. Like they would write, they, they would mint an options contract. They would use that NFT as collateral. And they would say, um, I will sell this for, uh, you know, for, for one, you know, I'll sell this for one Juno, um, which gives you the right to, um, to purchase at 20 Juno, this NFT in a month from now. And then the user will be able to decide if in a month from now they want to execute it or, um, or, you know, or just tear the contract up. Uh, so that's, that's kind of how I envision is like the, is the boilerplate use case for, um, for uh, options and NFTs, and then what if if there was liquid staking from Loop? So then you wouldn't actually deposit the NFT into the contract itself. You would actually deposit the um, the you know like tag, uh, the you know the reference tag. And so then when you when somebody redeemed it, so they would also get the NFT and they would also get the Loop tokens. Um, or it could be possible that, you know, Loop allows for you to um, distribute the, uh, the, the staking rewards to one wallet, you know, that's not the principal wallet, but that kind of gets, um, that, that's neither here nor there. Never mind all the Greeks. Uh, going back to everyone's favorite B Luna, Luna Arb trade. Um, so with staking easy uh, going live, last week um i don't know if everyone 
knows this or not, but it's trading on Loop Finance. And um, the liquid staking version of Loop, uh, Juno is actually trading at a discount. Uh, which is, yeah, very, very, which is to be expected. And that's one of the, the that is, that's not a bug. That's actually a feature of liquid staking tokens is that they have different uh, risk reward. They have different uh, um, liquidity. And so because of that, they'll always trade at a, a slight discount over the, the native asset. Yep. I think, yeah, it'd be interesting to look at what the discount is. So, I mean, Jonathan was saying that for just holding, or not just holding, sorry, for staking our Juno, you'd be expecting like a 6% return or so over a month. Yeah, 6 to 7%. Which is essentially, yep. which is essentially the unstaking period. So, so if, if the, the discount on these liquid staking tokens, in a sense, has to be above that number to make it worthwhile doing the ARB, is that right? No, I don't think so, because that's assuming that the price was flat. If the price was flat over the course of the month, or you had some type of indicator of a reduction in like uh, in the volatility score of the asset, then I would agree with that. But nobody knows what that you know. Like you know, my my father told me he said that uh, all you need to make it in this world is a copy of tomorrow's newspaper. So like if you if you knew the if you knew the price of anything in the future, like you you know you wouldn't you wouldn't be here. You would just be I don't know on on that you know that boat that uh, that, that Kyle never got to. Um, ride in pilot. Do pilot boats? Captain? Captain. That's the word. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, you know, the, I think that the the calculation as to um, what is the value of uh, you know, there's there's a uh, there's a lot of math that's gone into the um, calculating based on historical data the value of futures contracts, and when you are arbing between. Um, a B asset and a native asset, um, that is a futures contract that you're purchasing because you're purchasing the right to redeem uh, a, the, the right to redeem the native asset, you know, 21 days in the future. So we've got, uh, I know we're about an hour into it. Um, if there's any questions, uh, but we do have, we do have a couple other exciting topics um, to cover. Uh, I know, um, you know, I know uh, Beach was very excited um to to talk about a few things so i apologize that i went over by 30 minutes and i ate into our whole hour but um i think that we still have the attention from the community so um if uh, uh if you want to just jump on and talk a little bit about all the exciting stuff um that's happening you know in the world of game buying nfts uh i know everyone would love to hear from you thanks so much jonathan hey everyone um Tracking here from the um, GameFi side of Lavana. So um, we do have a lot of exciting things, one of which is that we launched a new game um, as this AMA went live. We also launched a game called Alchemy, which is all about um, discovering things that you can combine together and blow up on the Juno blockchain. So um, you can head over to the Dragon Cave, which is dragons.lavana.finance connect to Juno wallet and um, come and play. It doesn't cost anything to come and play, um, but if it is uh, running on Juno mainnet, so you will need um, very small gas fees in order to, um, if you succeed at your alchemy and you do manage to find things to combine and, um, and create, then you will need very minimal gas fees. So we is estimated this, it should be the about first, 60 is cents. This, is this the first um, native game live on Juno mainnet? I think it is. 
I think it might be. Yeah, so please go out and play that. That's uh you know the the website is uh dragons.lavana.finance. Right. And we are giving prizes to um, you know, first discoveries of all of the um possible combinations. So yeah, it should be really fun. Um and obviously open for feedback. We also have two other games running. We have Salim's um, Adventure. We also have a Rack Attack. So those are all found on the games tab in the Dragon Cave. So again, last time, dragons.lavana.finance. In addition to that, we completed um, at the beginning of this week our um, warp uh, initiation process. So we'll be reinventing um, our NFTs, the Lavana Dragon NFTs on Juno. Um, probably about 10 days from now or so. We also have a manual process. So if you missed out and didn't manage to warp initiate your NFTs um, and now we're feeling depressed and sad that you might've lost a dragon egg or two, um, you can come into the Levana Discord, open up a support ticket and we do have a manual process that we just kicked off um, today. So we'll be warping everyone over and reminting on Juno. Um, and we also hopefully will have a larger announcement um, with a, a new partner uh, with regards to the Rec Dragons. I don't want to talk about it yet, but hopefully we'll have explicit news about that next week. Um, I think that's all I wanted to announce. In, in addition to, obviously, if you haven't yet tried um, Options Testnet, that's great and has now been running for three weeks. Um, it was the first DeFi protocol to launch on um, Juno Testnet. So come and try out the Options Beta, which is options-beta at Lavona. Uh, options hyphen beta dot lavana dot finance and obviously um you know the perps uh the perps test net should be coming very soon this looks epic <laughs> this, i'm sorry this, this game is crazy it's really really exciting all i'm doing is pressing buttons but it's very <laughs> so it. the question is have you discovered anything yet I've, or not i've discovered loads i've got hydrogen i've got erosion i've got something else space no that was original i've, I've Oh no! I've only discovered two things so far. Oh, That's exciting. Anyway. You got to keep playing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You know what? What we wanted to do yeah, was very cool. uh, with, with every Levana game that we introduce. Uh, the idea was that we wanted to teach people a little bit and get them comfortable in the space. So a lot of people are new to Juno. They're new to Cosmos. You know, they were Terra Dgens, and um, and this is a new space for them. A lot of people had not yet acquired Juno tokens. And um, the Juno tokens from our side weren't required in order for us to remit um, on Juno, but we did want to encourage people to get at least a dollar of Juno tokens, you know, get used to um, approving transactions using um, Kepler wallets and becoming comfortable with it. And so this game for us is, you know, if you really want to, you can dig deep, you can find the contract, you can um, see if you can discover things. I'm not going to say in, in nefarious ways, but in other ways that you can talk directly to the contract. If you want to play with the UI, you can do it that way. But the goal for us is always, you know, help people along in their um, in their journey and make sure that you're getting comfortable in a new environment or, um, you know, with new tools. And how many different things are there for us to find? Well, That's it's a mystery. secret. <laughs> <laughs> and why is there no music? We need music. <laughs> Because you know what? People either loved or hated the music. <laughs> right. They either loved or hated the music to Salim's adventure. And so I figured people could just, you know, play their own music. There, there you go. go. There you go. I actually, uh, yeah, I just uh, um, was, uh, yeah, today was a Bob Dylan day. 
Um, so if, if you're in the mood for some, you know, flashbacks, um, uh, you know, that the Highway 61 Revisited is is much better than you remember it. So I'd, I'd highly recommend that. Nice. And then, of course, we do also have another game, which is in the style of uh, of a, a more traditional side-scroller game, which is called the Council Labyrinth, uh, which should be out in about two weeks. So there's more fun coming, and we are going to refill the Dragon Cave with, um, you know, different styles of um, of games and, and entertainment. But yes, it is exciting that we've just released the first, um, really, I think it is the first game on Juno Mainnet. So that's fun. I hadn't thought about that. Awesome. And with, like, the other two games, like Salim's Adventure and the Iraq Attack, we could finish them. Are, are we going to get notified if we, like, finished Alchemy, or are we just going to keep thinking it's not finished and kind of get stuck um no you are um you you are going to get a message and um we are though potentially going to add new things um you know the thing about how we built this uh, it is a smart contract so we can update it and um (laughs) and we'll be adding additional things to discover so that was you know it's again it's part of the um it's part of our move to, you know, thinking about evergreen games is um, is ongoing entertainment. So first it was let people discover, um, you know, what it's like to just even transact on the Juno blockchain. And then um, we'll be adding additional features. Awesome. Thanks very much. It looks like we've got another speaker up. Deeps, are you wanting to jump in? Yeah. Hey, hey, everyone. Hey, Rebel, um, Beach and, and Jonathan. Thank you. Thanks for the space, guys. It's been a while since I've been able to hop on a Lavana space, so um, I'm happy happy to be here. I, I did have a question. I know I'm jumping ahead, so I don't want to undervalue the information y'all have just put out because I think you know bringing these new games on, bringing interact interactive experience is pretty cool. Um, I was just thinking about a tweet that I saw a long time ago, and maybe you've all have addressed this already in a previous space, but. It was about a conversation, maybe it was an interview that Lavana had between strange clans and um, and themselves, you know, built on Passage 3D. And um, and maybe I missed the details of it, but I'm assuming that was kind of the idea of like starting the talks of a future like a uh, big game for Lavana. Because I always know that there was in the background, you all said there was always this idea for launching like a big immersive game we just weren't there yet um just didn't know if you could shed any details on that so we we took a huge hit um you know we lost a a significant portion of our treasury and um you know and and the market is not one to fund like no you know vcs are not writing big big gaming checks um today but we are very optimistic that with the success of uh of our DeFi products um that 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 will pave the path uh to creating um a you know a, a defi powered uh game by you know experience that that will be um you know comprehensive and immersive and just like actually fun you know i think the fun factor has been always downplayed in crypto games and when when i when i look at uh you know what are the value drivers for um, you know, something that is large scale, it doesn't necessarily mean that it looks like a PlayStation 4 game or I don't even know, we have the PlayStation 5. Um, but, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's not necessarily like, you know, building out um, something that, that's trying to compete 
with um, you know with the with the AAA games, but rather uh, to create something that is objectively fun um, and can scale to a hundred million players and uh, can help onboard um, you know literally millions of people into into DeFi. So I don't think that that vision or desire has changed, but our ability to execute that on, on that since the past, uh, since the crash of Terra has um, you know been significantly set back and you know i think right now we're um doing a great job the team is doing a really great job of taking the resources that we have available um you know we're about half of the team size is what we were um right before launch on terra um and uh and you know taking the resources that we have and the runway that we have and uh really executing well um kind of staying true to our community and vision um you know, of, uh, of bringing the, you know, the dragons to market, giving them a new home on, uh, on Juno, um, you know, bringing out, uh, a, a suite of DeFi applications, uh, um, and then along with an immersive story, um, and, uh, you know, we've got, a, a, you know, an immersive story and a collection of fun gaming experiences that are also, um, educational around the blockchain space. Uh, you know, we've got um, right now we have two side scrollers that have been relaunched on Juno. We have Alchemy that, uh, you know, launched today on Juno, which is like, a, you know, as, as Beach said, is a fully on-chain game. We've got, um, you know, we've got about 10 different uh, um, narrative blog posts of the world of Levana. You know, we've got about 80 comic book pages of, you know, so it's like, you know, it's like four or five chapters of, you know, the story of Levana. We have, uh, you know, 185 page novel of, you know, the adventure of Levana. And so these are things that will, you know, come to, you know, that will come to market. Um, but the, the larger scale game, you know, is going to be dependent on the, the success of the smaller scale projects that we're working on today. Awesome. Yeah. yeah Thanks for that yeah, response. Thank you. Oh, sorry, Rebel. <laughs> Not at all. Coming back in. Oh, you're, you're saying go ahead. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, no, I was just going to say thank you. Um, I think that totally makes sense, like one step at a time. Um, and, you know, again, I didn't want to downplay everything that you guys are doing because I think Levana is one of the most exciting uh, projects that was on Terra and, and is, is, is now on Juno. So um, I guess I was just kind of curious if, if there was any reason why they, they chose uh, Strange Plans to, to have that discussion with it. But it sounds uh, like yes. everything is just very in early stages. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, well, first of all, we, you know, we Lex is a personal friend, and um, I, and uh, and we have so much respect for everything that they've built, um, and you know, and also just you know, being we we knew each other uh, when there was no overlap, just when there was just uh, you know an overlap of community members, not even running on the same chain, and so we've had a couple different calls. You know, I've had calls with, with him and his brother, and he's met you know um, some of the core team at Lavana. And so what we've explored and we continue to explore is that as they build out, um, you know, the toolkit and the, you know, the features and functionality of passage, um, you know, and of, of like the, you know, the, the, their initial plan experience, which I forget, I think it's called prelude, if I'm not mistaken. So then we're, you know, we're asking ourselves the question, which is, um, which is how can these very synergistic, um, uh, you know, core attributes or assets um, be used to lower the barrier 
for Levana creating um, a a unique gamified experience within the blockchain space. So it's it's still you know too early to tell. I think the last time that we spoke was not was on the twenty eighth. So what was that? Thirty first. That was like four days ago. So we're in constant contact. Um, we're, and we'll you know we'll 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 touch base on a regular basis as they progress and as we progress. And we look forward to having a, a point where, um, you know, where we can really collaborate in a, in, um, you know, very tangible way. Well, sorry, I was just getting stuck for trying to follow Beach Dragon's advice and looking at contracts and stuff <laughs> to work out different combinations. I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. I, we, I didn't make it easy. We did not make it easy. So you might have to dig a little deeper than you're used to, but that's all part of the fun. Absolutely. Right. I mean, come on, you can't do alchemy and expect it to be fast. 100%. I'm just thinking back to faction wars. Am I totally misremembering? But I seem to think I was signing transactions. So you were signing transactions, but always on testnet, never on mainnet. Oh, of course, of course. Right. Yeah. yeah. And um, did you know testnet actually works a little bit differently? And um, and a faucet mechanism wasn't so straightforward. And so rather than having to build out a customized testnet, uh, we actually decided to go straight to mainnet here. And because thankfully Juno gas is so cheap, um, you know, the whole cost to play the game for all the discoveries shouldn't be more than a dollar. And I oh, think it's a great way to onboard people into Juno and, and um, you know, and Juno tokens. Yeah, it's cool. Thank you very much. And what about faction wars? Is that something we can, because I mean, I've heard Church Key talking, I think, about possible... I don't know. He's me. He's getting me excited um, for faction wars again. Yeah, that's so, that, that we're all, up to the community. Yeah, ultimately. Yeah, I mean, we we love the factions and we loved the wars, and it was, I think, for everyone that you know played, it was an experience unlike anything else they've done on the blockchain, to be honest. And it was really fun. And so we obviously want to bring back um, as much of that magic as we can. You know, as Jonathan, uh, you know, spoke to earlier. It's obviously just um, sort of confined within the the space of how can we, you know, create and deliver um, really engaging, awesome experiences within the confines of our current, um, you know, budget and staffing and and uh, resources. So we're doing our best. Absolutely, and it's definitely appreciated, and it's yeah, a lot of fun. Um, could people maybe just throw up some emojis? Um with regards to are you still struggling with options because i i feel almost embarrassed to say i'm the only one in this call who's not fully got my head around it but yeah if i'm seeing some thumbs up or anything you know i the same boat i i've been trading options um in traditional finance for 20 years and sometimes i um like it depends on which office I'm sitting in and how comfortable I am. But in the past, I have literally put the definition for put and call and sell and buy because I get so confused sometimes myself that I'm like, wait, wait, what am I doing? <laughs> like, you know, it's and then I'm like, wait, OK, I'm putting my asset on the table. OK, wait, now I'm putting in a call so I can uh, it can like grab it back. And so it's it takes a while. Like you have to, you know, wrap your head around the concept and think about what it is that you're trying to achieve, right? Like what are your objectives and then what you're doing? I don't think it's as, it's not as, um, you know, as native or as easy as um, just, uh, you know, buying a stock or buying a token or, or staking. It is something that you have to, um, to think about and, and get used to and, um, and familiarize yourself both with the terminology and also with the constructs around it. So 
I wouldn't feel like, you know, you've been left out. Um, and we knew that that going after options was definitely going to be potentially more, um, you know, more difficult or a bigger uh, hurdle or leap for a lot of people. But we feel like it's a really great um, tool to have in your DeFi tool set. And that's why it's such a great product for us to develop. Again, once you have, um, you know, liquid staking and other tools, it's really, um, it can be a really powerful um both defensive and offensive um, tool in your, you know, in your, in your DeFi like weapon bag. So, so is it, but it's okay. It's okay. If it's, <laughs> if it's not comfortable yet, if it's okay. If you struggle with the terms, it's okay. If it's not familiar yet, you know, I wouldn't, nobody can expect that in three weeks, you're going to be this like experienced options trader. Absolutely. That's not, you, that's so not how are going to hold my hand through this. Fingers crossed. Um, so it essentially is about kind of insuring yourself to the downside or just leveraging up to the upside is that kind of how one uses options um yeah again i can this is not financial advice i want to be very clear i'm not giving anyone financial advice but the way that i use options um and have used options in trade um in traditional finance is that exactly if i think the market's heading down then i'm essentially you know ensuring that my i can sell my asset at a certain price right at a certain time period and if i think that the market's heading up then i want the ability to buy that asset for the price that it is now and i'm willing to pay um you know a premium on it and if and and on the other side if i'm not sure right if the market's kind of gyrating and i'm i have no clue where it's going um then i can kind of insure myself on both sides or i can hedge my bets Right. Or I can take that option and think, OK, well, do I want to go, you know, kind of short or long in both directions, maybe a little bit more one than the other, but without having um, the need to to specifically, um, you know, put I, I don't it's the same thing. Like if I want to buy the option right to buy 10 shares of um, Amazon, well, before it it, it broke right um, before it split, then you would need, you know, twenty thousand dollars in the bank. But if I just wanted to buy an option to buy Amazon that's much cheaper and I don't need $20,000 in the bank when those shares were, you know, three or $4,000 a piece. So yes, that's exactly how it works. You know, you wouldn't, I don't know that you'd be heavy into options if you didn't think the market was going to move at all, but that's why it's so great in um, crypto because the market moves much more than it does in traditional finance. You know, token prices tend to move. Um, It's it's actually funny that you mentioned that there's actually a whole study of, uh, and like uh, the, and structured products that are specifically designed around making high yield during low vo- on low volatility uh, assets or low volatility time periods through options. So there, there is the, the the use cases that you just described are designed to profit on market movements. But there's a there's a handful of strategies that are actually the, through options that are actually. Um, designed that the the more flat the market is the more money that you make oh that's definitely true i think i'm not that sophisticated well i mean talking of something that could well be sophisticated is i mean i can't believe we've not even mentioned it (laughs) like look at your pfps dragons um admittedly you've got the wreck dragons but like dragons eggs baby dragons are these somehow going to have anything to do with options contracts well, that's that's really up to the community. You know, we've uh, we've done a great job of bringing the community together and making sure that they have, uh, you know, that they they have assets that they care about uh, and that they're well educated in the the you know in the DeFi tools. 
and that they are um, motivated to participate in decision-making and governance. And we're very excited to see, you know, there's, there's plenty. Now, when we first, uh, you know, when we first uh, released the meteor shower, um, which was almost a year ago, uh, if you can believe that, then um, the idea of, of uh, NFTs integrated into DeFi, you know, was few and far between. But now we've seen like, you know, many um, assets, like even like DYDX has hedges, um, you know, which give reduced uh, trading fees um, or, you know, and, and I think some other, per, uh, you know, perks on top of it. So I think that uh, we've already seen some really great suggestions from the community as to how to integrate the NFTs. And, you know, ultimately, this is a community driven product. And so it'll be excited. It'll be exciting to see, you know, what kind of proposals are, are put up and, you know, and how people vote on them, you know, once, uh, once the DAO goes live. Exciting times, for sure. I think what I'm going to have to do after this call, and thanks again to Finn for recording it. Um, Jonathan was talking at the start how he listens to things. Is it 1.75x? I might have to put Jonathan's explanations down to about 0.75x and just slowly, slowly, hopefully get these concepts. Well, I I apologize and I'll, I'll work on uh, on um, improving the analogies and explanations. No, no, um, I, so I, that I thought we can, we can all talk at regular speeds. Absolutely. No, I thought the analogies were really good, but it, it's, yeah, I mean, you are uh, one of the sort of the, the big brains of Terra who's now over on Juno, but yeah, it just takes the smooth brains a little bit longer to, to get these concepts. But I, yeah, I like the analogies. They definitely helped. Well, well, thank you for the kind words. Um, I think, you know, we've been going now for about an hour and 20. Um, so I think this is a good time to, to wrap things up. Um, we do have some really exciting announcements that uh, I don't think are going to be made on this because we've already announced a lot. Um, but we've got some really exciting announcements that are, are going to be coming up in the very near, near future, like like you said, in terms of uh, partnerships. Um, and to just be on the lookout for that. And, you know, if you're not in the Discord, please join the Discord. And when are the Discord AMAs? They're on Monday. The Discord AMAs are always on Monday. I believe that this coming week, I'm going to shift to um, a much earlier time slot. I'm going to move them like 10 hours earlier, and then I'm going to um, shift them every week. So that way we hit both sides of the planet. And I, awesome. I make sure we get no sleep. Yeah, that's my plan. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Um, all right. So that's, uh, that's all for now. Thanks, everybody, for joining. And uh, we'll see you next week. And, you know, bring a friend. Thanks for coming, everyone. Thanks for checking out another episode of The Ether. That was the DeFi Deep Dive hosted by Levana Protocol and Rebel DeFi. And I think Deeb's DeFi was there. All the DeFi. Recorded on Thursday, September 1st, 2022. For Terraspaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. Mutation. It is the key to our evolution. It has enabled us to evolve from a single-celled organism into the dominant species on the planet. This process is slow, normally taking thousands and thousands of years. But every few hundred millennia, 
evolution leaps forward. Diving through the forest, looking for the door to the portal. Said it'll take me down a corridor. I'm ignoring the warning, storing importance. The cord looks sourced from ancient coordinates. Smells like musty mutants, trust me. I've been hunting bugs since the leaves started rustling. I must be getting close, yo, the scene is disgusting. Parasitic mutation, bleaching off the country. Grab a couple samples and defy their custody. Feeding gamma rays to the beast and peak velocity. Mutating awesomely. Priests don't wanna meet. Taking all the scraps and feed them to the lottery. Always evolving to defy the possibly These are the things that will scream irresponsibly Feeling uneasy, these genes get them off of me I don't mean to trip it, am I mutating properly? We are the mutants We are the mutants We are the mutants We are the mutants Unlock the back, it's time to do this Breathing getting heavy, I can feel it in my arms, but I can't stop now. Mutation. It's an art form, don't be alarmed. If you see me looking odd when I'm out on the farm, spinning crop circles in your yard, reaching the stars, need a way to get across. Got this little mutation, lets me hack key cards. Seen looking like it came out the first three saws. Flexing like Rex when I mutate the precog. Leaders trying to research this genetic seesaw. Give me all the science and we'll leave you with the pre-slaw. Riders believe they bleed these endorsements. Turning scientists into terrorist supporters. Gotta seize the spoils and release the spores. It's time to forage through DNA lore. So sink it a swim, silly Alice. Take the pill and see we're all mad here. Taking over your facility. We are the mutants. We are the mutants. We are the mutants. We are the mutants. Unlock the back, it's time to do this. We are the mutants. We are the mutants. We are the mutants. Unlock the last time to do this. Terror spaces. <laughs>